Where it said, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Had no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Let's go to God and word of prayer. Bridger, would you lead us in prayers? We pray together. Oh, God, I plead the blood of Jesus. God, I pray that you'd help us. Oh, Lord, be your mercies. God, touch the heart of the people. You've gathered us for a purpose. Lord, we look to you to fulfill that purpose tonight. God, I plead the blood of Jesus. God, I ask you to help us. Amen. Thank you, Bridger. You may be seated. You that have been here, you know we've been studying through the gospel of John in these days and laboring in this thought of the master's ministry of mastering men. And I see a progression in his mastering. It started out in chapter number one of the Lord mastering our direction. Before you can get anything from God, you've got to be headed in his direction, be turned from your way, going to his way. Then he masters our diet. Once we're following him, we need something good to eat. And we read about the children of Israel leaving Egypt. And uh, when they left the leeches, onions, and garlics, God started them on a brand new diet of manna and quail and water from the riven side of the rock. And we find that the Lord wants to feed our hearts and uh, help us. We find that the Lord mastered doubt there in Nathaniel. How Nathaniel had doubted and said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, along the journey, God dissolves our doubts and we become more confident that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. Now, I want to look in John chapter number 8 this evening. And this time, the phrase master comes up not by the disciples using it, uh, but we read the Pharisees said unto the Lord in verse number 4, Master. 
This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And what they were doing was setting up a trap for Jesus. And they thought they had him. They thought, well, if he releases her, he's against the law of Moses. If he stones her, uh, then he's not Jesus. Jesus means Savior, and he couldn't save her. So we've got him either way he goes. But they didn't realize that they were dealing with the master. And when they use that phrase master, the master is going to begin to minister in this situation. We find in verse number one that the Lord had been up on the Mount of Olives there probably in prayer throughout the night and that was one of his favorite places to go. And the Mount of Olives overlooks the city of Jerusalem and it's a long ridge and I've been there many times and good place to pray and to walk back and forth and you overlook the city. And then it came time for him to come down the Mount of Olives and uh, back up the hillside and then into the Temple Mount. And he went into the temple, the Bible says, early in the morning. And he came and began to teach as the people came unto him. And you know, the Lord moved in such a way that uh, when his presence was in the temple, the people came to hear him. And though it was early in the morning, and he sat down and taught them. I used to think if you wasn't stepping on three inches of your britches leg and couldn't talk on Monday morning, that you wasn't preaching and you wasn't teaching. Uh, but the Lord even sat down to teach them. He sat down because of his confidence. He sat down to recline and rest. He sat down to give the message rather than the entertainment. Oh, there were times when he platted the cord and he ran the Pharisees out of the temple. Uh, there were times when he said, Woe unto you, and he gave those great woes upon the religious crowd that wouldn't get right with God. But on this occasion, he wanted the message to be heard more than the messenger to be seen. And so he's sitting there, and he's teaching the people, and man, they're just having a good time in the Word of God. And the Bible tells us that there was an interruption that took place. Scribes and Pharisees. Now, Scribes were supposed to be men that were the typewriters of the day. They were to be the men that copied the Holy Scriptures and not made any mistakes. And boy, they were meticulous in their details and they were meticulous in the copies of the Word of God. And when you study the old Scriptures and they find those manuscripts, those uh, Jews, they made every minute jot and every tittle. And if they made one mistake, they threw it all away. And they started all over again. And they were supposed to be dedicated to the Word of God. The Pharisees were the religious leading denomination of the day that were supposed to be the masters in Israel, teaching everybody the right way. But the Lord said that they were blind leading the blind. And here comes this interruption uh, in the midst. And they're pulling this woman down in the front. They're going to take over that service. And they throw her down in the mist. Now those boys have been up all night long to catch her in their deeds and their wickedness. And they brought her in, throwed her down. And they were going to uh, make an illustration out of her in front of everybody. And as they came in that scene, they had no idea what they were going to activate. When they said in verse number 4, Master... This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, now, what do you say about it? And they began to accuse this woman, and they began to make a situation that would make them look good and Jesus and everybody else look bad. 
And that is the ultimate height of a religious Pharisee is to create a situation whereby they look good and everybody else looks bad. They had no intention of helping this woman. They had no intention of blessing her and trying to get her to Jesus to get right with God. All they wanted was a scapegoat. They wanted somebody that they could uh, bring Jesus down with. They didn't really care about her. But you know what? Jesus, the master, he begins to master their devilishness. And that's what I want to preach on this evening. Jesus mastering our devilishness. Now the word devil, it means the accuser, the diabolus. It means the slanderer or the accuser. It means to defame. It means to distract. It means to depreciate. It has to do with a diplomatic destruction of somebody else to tarnish their character. It has to do with casting a slur upon, to belittle, to backbite. It means to sling mud. And the old Chinese proverb is, he who slings mud loses ground. I say amen. But here is a case where they're accusing that woman. And they're accusing Jesus. And the devil's behind all this. And you know, the apostle reminds us of this, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Sometimes you feel like smacking the snot out of somebody's flesh and blood, amen. But you realize behind that flesh and blood is principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And people, though they not, may not mean to, they can be used as tools of the devil. Simon Peter loved the Lord Jesus. I mean, he was his disciple. He followed him. But the Lord said, I've got to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. I've got to go there and suffer many things. And Peter pulled him aside and said, Be it far from thee, Lord, thou shalt never. And the Lord had just called him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because of what God revealed to him. But now he says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to the work of God. You're not savoring the things that be a God. And even sometimes the best of God's disciples can be tools and instruments in the hands of the devil. And you know, I can't handle the devil, but I know one that can. Amen. I look back in the beginning and I see that Satan accuses God before man. He came on the scene in the Garden of Eden and said, Yea, hath God said. Don't you know, Eve, God's a bad God. He's keeping you from this one tree out of all the trees in the whole wide world. And God said you can eat up. There's one here. And the reason he is is because he's a bad God. He knows the day you eat thereof, ye shall be as gods. You'll have your eyes open and you'll know good from evil. He knows that you'll be equal with him. And Eve, he's keeping something good from you. God's a bad God. And you know, the devil accuses God to you and me. And a lot of folk don't serve the Lord because they listen to the accuser. And they listen to him say, oh, you don't want to serve God. You don't want to sell out. Now get you a little bit of religion. That's all right. 
Get your little bit of church sanity. That's okay. But boy, going all the way with God and really getting wrapped up in all that. Why? There's so much more to life than religion and God and all that. And uh, you look at preachers, how they've been abused. And you look at other people I've known that tried to serve God and how they really fought uh, day and night. And I'll tell you, God's not a good God. And you know, the devil will accuse God before us. But then secondly, the devil accuses us before God. The Bible tells us in Job chapter number one how the sons of God came before the Lord, the angels, and the devil himself came. And he accused Job. God, God brought Job up. said, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, he had considered a lot of other folk. and He had a lot of other junk to pour out before God. Did you see so-and-so? Look at what they did. Look at what they did. Look at what they did. And God said, all right, I've heard all that. Now, I want to ask you something. Have you considered Job? Yes. Yes, I have. But I know you've got a hedge about him. And he begins to accuse Job before God. And he says, I know he fears God, but did Job fear God for naught? And God's going to disprove the devil and his theory through the life of Job. Does Job fear God? Yeah, he does, but it's because you gave him all these things. Let me take it away from you. He'll curse you. And he took everything away from Job. And old Job looked up and said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's all God's to give, and it's all God's to take. So whether I'm on the receiving end or whether God's on the taking end, that don't make a hill of bean difference. He's God and I'm going to worship him. Well, I know why he has still serving you because he's got his own hide, skin for skin. You let me really take his hide off of him and he'll curse you and down in the ash pile. Job's wife said, just curse God and die. He said, you talk like a foolish woman. The devil got to his wife and the devil will get to your wife. She's the weaker vessel and she'll whisper things in your ear that's just not so even though she may love you and love God. Still, because she's a weaker vessel, she's got to be real careful. She'll whisper, they just curse God and die. Get out of your misery. Have God kill you, Job. She said, you talk like a foolish woman. We've received good at the hand of God. Shall we not receive evil at the hand of God? If we're on the blessing end or the blistering end, that's God's business, not my business. And on and on it went, but the devil just relentlessly accusing Job before Almighty God. Then the devil accuses us to each other. He's the accuser of the brethren, but he gets the brethren to accuse one another. That's why in 1 Timothy 3.11 it said, Deacons, wives, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers. Titus 2, 3, that the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. And there is a temptation to be a false accuser. And if we're not careful, we'll play the devil's part. We'll accuse somebody, not knowing all the facts and not knowing uh, everything that's together. We'll start accusing one another of this and that. Yeah, I know why you did that. Yeah, you just think you're better than I am. Yeah, you, you really don't think I'm, I'm in the same category as you do. And boy, the first thing you know, because of a high-minded attitude, yeah. slandering takes place. And you reckon who's behind that slander? Well, in John chapter number 8, we see plenty of devilishness going on. 
Plenty of finger pointing going on in John chapter number 8. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 5 and 19 not to receive an accusation against the elder. Be careful about pointing your fingers at God's man. Proverbs 30 and 10 said, Accuse not a servant to his master. You let his master tend to him. Luke 3, 14, Neither accuse any falsely. 2 Timothy 3, 3 said, In the last days there would be false accusers. I got tickled at our president over in London, Acostas from CNN, trying to butt in when it was Trump's time to ask somebody for a question. Give me a question. Give CNN a question. He said, I don't give questions to fake news. (laughs) That's the best way to answer this bunch. You got somebody throwing fakery on you, gossip on you, just don't give them the time of day. Amen. Because if you give them the time of day, they'll take away your clock. And they'll clean your clock. Just don't give them the time of day. And when you get these slanders, these accusers coming up and all that, and they say, you know, my ear is not a trash can, so quit dumping your garbage in it. I don't want to hear it. Hey, why do you think a man a preacher? That old preacher there the other day, boy, he ain't really preaching that. And I think somebody told him, wasn't nobody that uh, nobody could have known what he'd known. Somebody had to run their mouth about me, and I'm going to tell you what. They'll say, wolf! Quit howling in my ear. Leave me alone. And if it's the word of God, if it's you, Finch, just wear it and quit arguing with it. Amen. Now notice number one, the devilishness of the adulteress. I knew some people that would sing that little song, Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. They'd get up and justify what this woman had done. They'd actually quote that scripture and justify what she had done because the Lord said, neither do I condemn thee. But what she did wasn't right. There's plenty of devilishness on her part, no doubt about it. The Bible said that she was caught in adultery in the very act. Some folk want to bid Godspeed to that. And they have nothing to say against it. But this woman was as devilish as the Pharisees, but she was just less religious. Back in Proverbs chapter number 5, turn there if you will please, Proverbs chapter number 5, God talks a whole lot about this devilishness of adultery. Verse number 1, chapter 5 of Proverbs. My son, attend thou unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding. Thou mayest regard discretion, and thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of hell. Unless thou should ponder the path of life, her ways are movable. Thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor to others, and thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in thy house of a stranger." Boy, there's some words of warning on over in chapter number 6 that need to be heeded. You know, Hollywood gets me at their hypocrisy. 
they started this Me Too movement. And all these naked strumpets and these harlots that lay themselves bare and open on the Hollywood big screen for the whole world to see, they say that some fellas producing their movie looked at them wrong or said something or tried to seduce them or whatever and them living in that strumpet lifestyle. The old saying is, if you're not open for business, then close the shop. Amen. Proverbs 6, 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are a way of life to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Now get this, fellas. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman... A man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. She's after those that want to serve God, those that love God, those that want to sell out for the Lord and live for God. you got some old harlot, some horse woman, she'd like to take you down. And verse 27 said, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go under hot coals and his feet not be burned? So is he that goeth in unto his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Do a man, man despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he's hungry? But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold, and he shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery where the woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul, and a wound and dishonor he getteth, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Nothing good about what this woman was doing. Nothing good. Look on over in chapter number 7. Starting in verse number 6. Solomon giving some wisdom about what goes on. Verse number 5. They that keep thee from the strange, that they may keep thee from the strange woman. From the stranger which flattereth with her words. For at the window of my house I look through my casement. And behold, among the simple ones I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near a corner, and he went the way to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black, and in the dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. That's why God said women ought to dress in modest apparel. Now, if there's somebody come through the door and he had a blue uniform on, uh, you might think he's a police officer. Somebody come through the door and he had a white uniform on and he had a little beanie hat turned upside down on you, you might think he's a sailor. You have somebody come in, I've had them come in many a time from the hospital and they got them turquoise scrubs on, you might think they're in the medical field because of the way they're dressed. Boy, you get somebody with a skirt too high and a blouse too low, Breeches too tight, all the rest of that stuff. And she's dressing with the attire of a harlot. And I admire you godly ladies and you're dressing your young'uns the way they ought to be dressed. I was in tractor supply today and I, I was there getting some tractor parts and I looked and here come two young, teen, beautiful teenage girls. Man, they were dressed from here 
down to there. And I said, I'll just bet you that that's a Christian family. And they went on by me. In a few minutes, here come mom. And she was dressed just like them. And I said, yeah, they may be Jehovah Witnesses, but I doubt it. I believe they got some modesty about them. And they sure wasn't attractive to the eye and appealing in a sensual way, but it was very attractive by saying, thank God for somebody that you can look at in Walmart or Tractor Supply. You don't have to have mule blinders on. Say amen right there. You know I'm telling you the truth. Said he met a woman with the attire of the harlot and subtility of heart. Now she's loud. She's stubborn. And she won't stay at home. Her feet abide not in her house. Now she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offering with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face. I've found thee. I've decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carving work, with fine linen of Egypt. I perfumed my bed with myrrh and alice and cinnamon. The lights are flashing. The advertisement's there. The adjectives are poured out. All the right reasons to come on over here and lie with me. Let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with love. For the goodman's not home. He's gone on a long journey. He'd taken a bag of money with him. He'll come home at the day appointed and with her much fair speech. She causeth him to yield with the flattering of her lips. She forced him, and he goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, and as a fool to the correction of stocks, till the dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteneth to the snare, and knoweth not what it is for his life. Hearken unto me now. He says, hearken unto me now. Therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray after her path. For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many a strong men have been slain by her. And her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Nothing good about this woman. I see her beauty. She's probably a beautiful woman at one time. John Trapp, the old Puritan, said, Fair faces have filled hell. And I feel sorry for some of these young ladies. They're so beautiful. They're going to have every rogue in the country running after them. Boy, they have to have a strong stamina and a strong conviction of the right things of the Word of God, her beauty, her beguilement. The devil told her, said, Oh, just come on. Play around. It's easy money. Get you, uh, get you, uh, sugar daddy, and boy, he'll take care of you. And you won't have to work. You just lay around, and have pleasure, and have fun, and all that. It, it'll be the good life, the easy life. Just come on, boy. Big fast money. But then, not only the beguiling of the woman, but the binding of the woman. She become a slave to the very thing that she thought would pleasure her and would fulfill her life. And then the boldness of the woman. At one time she kept it in the back alleys and the shambles and the dark places, but now she becomes so bold with her sin and her conscience is so seared 
she don't even have enough consciousness and morality about her to do her deed in the private somewhere. She can be caught, caught openly in the act. And that's the way sin is. Boy, it starts out red-facedness and shamefacedness, and boy, slap the fire out of him. And then there's a yieldingness here and a yieldingness there. And then the first thing you know, it's open and public and they really don't care. And they get to the place where they're like the reprobate of the, the homosexuals and all the rest of them. They prayed it in the street and the devil has bound them. Boy, you start out with a little thing and then it winds up binding you. But then look at the betrayal of the woman. There she is taking her fill of love and all of a sudden rushing through the door. These men with robes and beards and phylacteries and they grab her and the man hightails it out the back door but they drag her down through the streets and then they throw her down in the middle of the temple and they begin to betray her and they begin to batter her. There she is. There she is. And the same devil that's enticed her and drew her into all that sin has now filled the Pharisees and they're on the other side. Look at you, look at you, look at you. And that's the way the devil is. He'll draw and entice you. And, oh, come on, man, you've got to have this and that and the other. And come on, get involved with this. Boy, it's good. Don't worry about that old church house. Got old preacher. He's just out to ruin your life and all that. Don't worry about all that stuff. And then when you get in a mess, you sorry rogue. You, you low down thing. You, you hell deserving buzzard. You, look at you. Look at you. Look at you. A lot of devilishness going on. In this story, the woman is battered. She's stripped of her reputation. She's stripped of her pride. She's stripped of any dignity that she would ever have. She's thrown at the feet of Jesus, and there she is in the temple. She knows she's doomed and damned and condemned and on her road to hell. There she is. The wages of sin is death. The devilishness of the woman. Number two, the devilishness of the accusers. Not only the adulteress, but the accusers. Look in verse number six. This they said, tempting him. They didn't say what they said about her, and they didn't do what they did in relation to her to help her. They didn't care. They did it tempting him. They didn't have any compassion. They didn't have any love. This is the religious crowd now. This is a church house crowd. This is a lost religious bunch. And boy, they haven't changed one iota. That's the same crowd that'll water out a hole in a church pew somewhere. And some stranger comes rolling in, sits down in their church pew, and they'll say, Young lady, you're going to have to move now. You're going to have to find you another seat. I've been sitting in that seat for 40 years. Not knowing if it's a woman off the street and needed Jesus or whatever. Got a couple of young. I've had them do that to my wife many a time. Come in the house of God and her sit down because somebody's in the choir or whatever, not even know it's that seat. Young lady, you're going to have to get up and move now. And I'm just thinking, boy, what if she was a woman off the street? What if she didn't need Jesus? What do you think they just did? 
And there have been a lot of shootings in parking lots of churches, uh, not one far from Hendersonville, because of some long-time church woman running her mouth and destroying families and all of that. And friend, there's some terrible things go on. Religious people don't mean that they're right with God. The attitude of these Pharisees were devilish. Galatians 6, 1, if a man, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now we'll deal with people that are in need. We need to remember that some, Jude said, having compassion, making a difference. Titus said this, and boy, old Paul, man, he was a high blistering preacher, but he was an humble, loving preacher too. And he said this in Titus 3, verse 2 and 3, Speak evil of no man. Be no brawler. Boy, I just I balled my fist up and I really let the... Be no brawler. Be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For, why? We ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. He said, you just remember where you were at when God came after you, and then maybe it'll help you to have some compassion on somebody else. Well, them knuckleheads, I've been by there three times, and they've slammed the door in my face. I ain't going back no more. Maybe you slammed the door in somebody's face a few times. They told me just to leave them alone. Did you ever tell anybody to leave you alone? I was sitting at the barber shop, Oscar Isaacs, when he cut hair down there at Tuxedo. Me and my dad are sitting there, and there was the local poacher that came through. And him and my dad are big buddies. But he was telling Oscar about killing three doe deer, and he was in August out of season. And uh, we got done, and we got that old 53 Ford pickup truck, had that automatic in it, first automatic Ford put in a pickup. Man, that was a jewel of a truck. And crazy sold that thing. That's one of the regrets of life. But I remember traveling back up Green River Road, and I told my daddy, I said, I'm going to report that feller. He said, you're going what? I said, yeah, hunting them doe deer out of season like that. I'm going to report him. Daddy said, after the many times you've slipped up there and you've fished and trespassed and squirrel hunted, you turkey hunted up there and you're going to report him? I felt like crawling in the floorboard of that pickup truck. And I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't make a good law enforcement officer. Now, I got a sister, she's a good, she don't care. Me, I'm too soft hearted. I run with too many old boys that's been in and out of jail and all the rest of them. I, I'm, I'm really, a, I'm a pushover, I'm a soft hearted. Because I know that if I'd have got caught back there, then I'd have been in jail myself. I'd have been right alongside of them. God in his mercy spared me and saved me by his grace. I'd be dead and in hell. So what right have I got to look at them and lay accusation upon them when I know who I was and where I come from and what God did for me? Amen. Boy, this is a sin that needs to be dealt with in our churches. It can be a religious snob, run her nose up in the air and ruin what God's doing in somebody else's heart. There's a lot of folk, look at them old religious people. Boy, they get burnt out. 
been going to Australia a lot and witnessing to a lot of people. And boy, if I find somebody that's really belligerent against God, I just look at them. I let them rant and rave on, you know, about how they hate the church and nothing to do with God. And then I say, who has hurt you religiously? And the biggest part, really, every time I've asked that question, they've said, well, when I was a boy, they sent me over to that boarding school. One of them said, that nun had my britches down beating me in the name of Jesus. I said, blank with God, blank with the church, and I don't never want nothing to do with it ever again. Just the way they were. And I said, well, that's not what we're about, and that's not what we're after. I'm going to tell you, there's some folk that love Jesus and genuine, but people soured them up, soured them up. Religious folk can sour and burn a sinner's ears off where they'll plug them up and they don't want to hear anything you got to say. And that's what this Pharisaic bunch is doing. You think that woman wanted to come and hear one of those rascals preach a sermon on the next given Sabbath? You think, boy, she's going to beat her way down there to the house of God after all this? No, sir. They knew. She knew that they didn't give a rip about her. And then they even accused Jesus, said, hey, look at him. Said, he's a friend of publicans and sinners. He's gone down there to eat with them. Amen. Their attitude is wrong. Their act was wrong. They said, look at there, Lord. She was taken in the very act. Well, that insinuates they laid a trap. That insinuates they had spying. And insinuates, instead of being over there at the temple listening to Jesus teach, just laid up down there at the harlot's house where they ought not to have been in the first place. They wanted Jesus to be made out to be a compromiser while they were the heroes when they were the ones laying around up there in a place that they ought not to have been in the first place. Amen. Huh. I was in a meeting one time. I wouldn't let some long-haired hippie ride in my car to church. I'm afraid somebody accused me of compromise. I thought, buddy, if you hadn't got any more testimony than that, you ought to be accused of compromise. If you see a long-haired, tattooed hippie riding in my car and I bring him to the house of God, it ain't because I'm drinking beer and smoking dope with him and running with the hippie movement. Amen. Amen. I thought, man, how stupid is that? The good Samaritan, the priest passed by and said, I've got to get on up here to church. I can't help that feller. The Levite passed by and said, oh, I, can't be, I can't be defiled by him. But the old Samaritan, how about that? That half-breed Samaritan, Jews wouldn't give him a time of day. He got out off his beast, got on his knees. He poured wine in his wounds and bound him up and put him on his own beast, took him up there to the innkeeper, turned him over to him, <laughs> and then said, I'll pay you anything he eats, anything, I'm going to give you money now, but if I owe you more whenever I come back, you just let me know. You take care of this old boy, will you? Yes, sir, I will. And he went on down the way, and Jesus said, now who do you think was the neighbor? The good Samaritan. These fellows weren't good Samaritans. Their attitude was wrong. Their act was wrong. Their affairs were wrong. Master, Master, the Jews of late, uh, uh, this woman, uh, she was taken in the very act of adultery. What, what do you say? Tempting him. But in verse 6 it said, Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. 
They continued to ask him, yeah, get up from there. Get up from there. What are you writing? Get up from there. Answer us. Answer us. He lifted up himself. He stood up and he looked at those guys and he said, now, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. Vendel Jones says, this is in the Greek tense of he that's without this very sin among you. Let him first cast a stone at her. Truth is, he'd been slipping in the back door and giving her some business. Boy, about that time, she looks up and cracks her eye toward them fellas. And they were convicted of their own conscience. They guilty of the same thing that they were trying to condemn her for. And their conscience begins to convict them of their sins. And beginning at the eldest, the eldest, I just remembered, I got to mow my grass, I forgot. The other said, yeah, my wife told me to help you. And the other one said, well, you know, I've got something I've got to do too. Another said, yeah, and I'm late for Sabbath school, I've got to get out of here. And one by one, beginning at the eldest who had the most sin, down to the youngest, they all hightailed it out of there. I imagine they were afraid as the Lord wrote down, stooped down and wrote on the ground again. They was afraid that woman's going to say, Hadn't I seen you before? Don't You look awful familiar. I believe I've heard that voice before. Woo. They come to master him, master her, but the tables are turning. Their affairs were wrong. Then on to say, my friend, Jesus masters, and he reveals the deed of the adulteress, the devilishness of the accusers, but now look at his mastering ministry of devilishness as he gives deliverance unto her. The very thing that she thought was going to ruin her and destroy her was a thing that got her to God. There she was, a revelation to the woman. She saw herself lost. She saw herself guilty before God. Then her accusers are gone, verse 10 and 11, one by one, neither hath any man condemned thee. Jesus asked a woman, where are those thine accusers? No man hath condemned thee. And she said, no man, Lord. I hear people say, well, Lordship don't have anything to do with salvation. No man, Lord. I hear them say repentance has nothing to do with salvation. Now, wait a minute. Let's see if she does any repenting. Now, see if repentance is in this scripture, okay? No man, Lord, she's done got her eyes on Jesus. And she's bound to the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if she calls upon the name of the Lord, guess what Jesus said? He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, is that repentance or what? Get out of the cat house business. Leave the old lifestyle. There's something better for you. And she may have joined up with those certain women that followed Jesus around and served him and worshipped him and honored him and glorified him. His blessed name. And the Lord totally turned her on her heels. He didn't just free her, neither do I condemn thee. 
But he said to her, repent now, go and sin no more. Get out of this business and go and serve God and live for the Lord. I'm glad there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. It's Christ that died. Yea, rather is risen again who's even at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high to intercede for us and to pray for us. Revelation to her. Redemption of her. Release. Release. Go. Go. Boy, she's in a bear trap. The law said stone her. Kill her. Kill her. Kill her. Go. You got a new lease on life. You deserve death. That's what the law said. Yeah, that's right. But I've saved you now. Go. Go and sin no more. And later in John 8, 36, he said, If the Son therefore make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Well, don't you know that she was a grateful woman? Oh, praise God. She was on the floor ready to be stung. And I imagine they had a pocket full of rocks. But instead, she got to walk out of there, saved by the grace of God, freed, delivered from her old occupation, delivered from religious condemnation, and delivered by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I say he's the master over devilishness. Hallelujah. Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust thereof. He changed her life. Has the Lord changed your life? Paul said it like this, who was a murderer of Christians and got saved by the grace of God. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. God's mastered his devilishness. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. Lord, master our devilishness. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus and ask you to let this message soak in. Let us not just see error in the world. Help us to see error in our own way. 